Welcome, welcome. Nice midsummer. Uh, you know, we can uh, look forward to complaining about the heat because that's what we do in the middle of summer. And then in the middle of winter, we complain about the cold and uh, look forward to the summer. And now we look forward to some cooler weather. I, I, you know, I don't know. We just, uh, I don't know. That's what we are. That's what we do. We do well at uh, talking about the weather, complaining about the weather. But anyway, I, it's nothing to do with what I uh, want to talk about today. So come on in. Uh, as Liza said, if you're new, uh, welcome. Hopefully you'll enjoy uh, summer service with us. And uh, if you'd like a name tag, fill out a little uh, yellow card that you may have been given as you came in and uh, leave it in the tithe and offering box as you walk out of the sanctuary and uh, we'll print your name tag for, for next week if you'd like that and, and send you an email uh, if you would like that on what's happening at church. But here we are uh, in the middle of summer, and for the summer I'm, I'm, I want to preach, and I am preaching on uh, some of the promises, some of the incredibly wonderful promises that uh, there are in the Bible, and how those uh, promises uh, really uh, give us a, you know, a lift and help us with our faith and encourage us uh, when God says something uh, and promises something that we can depend on. Uh, it's really... Uh, it's really helpful. And uh, for those of you that uh, have a promise that God has made and you've seen God come through on that promise, it's really uplifting and inspiring. I mean, it's really what, uh, as people of faith, uh, we live for, uh, where we want to live a life that's better than uh, a life living without God or outside of God. And when God intervenes in our lives and we can see God in practical ways, uh, loving us, being involved in our lives. It's very uplifting, and uh, it draws us to God, and we desire to see more of God. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, one of the things about God is God is a God of mercy. And uh, we expect to be treated well. We like to be on the receiving end of mercy. Uh, but even in, you know, uh, small things, like if you go to a restaurant uh, you enjoy when you're being treated well. You like it when people, uh, you know, serve you well and treat you well. And it doesn't matter if you're going to a fast food restaurant. Uh, you expect it to be clean and you expect it to be fast and you expect the people to be, you know, polite to you. And if you go to a very fancy restaurant and you're paying a lot more, uh, you expect an increase in the care that you're given and you expect the tablecloth to be clean and, and you expect, you know, the service to be uh, better than average. Uh, and likewise, if you're in a hotel, you know, if you go to an average hotel, you still expect, uh, you know, everything to be clean and the staff up front to be friendly. And if you go to an expensive hotel, uh, you say, look, I expect an increased level of luxury, an increased level of attention. And uh, we, we, we just expect it. That, that, that's normal. And if you fly first class, I've never flown first class, bless you guys that do it because invariably you've flown a thousand miles or millions of miles or bazillion miles to warrant that you expect to be treated better than average and when i walk through the first class cabin it looks like you get treated like better than average and for the price you pay i mean they should just have like the food coming on a conveyor belt i mean you know just <laughs> but but you expect that you know that's you you're sort of paying for it and you expect the service uh, and then when it comes to church it's an interesting mix because you expect to come to church. I would hope that you are treated well, uh, people are friendly, and that 
people are polite and uh, that there's a level of service which uh, caters to you, whether you're a first-timer coming to church or whether uh, church is uh, something that you do regularly, if this is your church. And I hope people are polite to you and are nice to you and inviting to you. But church is an unusual uh, institution in that uh, it also has a, a heart to take care of people in a way that we'd call mercy, where we reflect God's character, where we say, you know, you can come in in a way that uh, you're not going to pay for church, you're not going to uh, provide anything for church, uh, you're not going to add any value to church, and yet church is here to say we welcome you and we want to serve you, and we want to treat you well, no matter what state you're in. Uh, I, I mean, it, you wouldn't go to a five-star hotel without any money and expect, you know, stellar service. But when you come to church, uh, you can expect to come to church without any money and receive stellar service. I mean, that's, that's what churches should do, and that's part of what we like to do. And we, we try very hard to treat people with mercy. You know, people that have messed up again and again through their own fault or no fault of their own. And to try and treat people without being judged and just say, you know, we want to love you. We want, actually, we want God to love you. And we want to just be the vehicle that God uses uh, to love you. <laughs> you. You know, from a political standpoint, as we're in a political season, the tone of, of political debate is like as far away from mercy as you could ever imagine. I mean, it's so like antagonistic and, and like confrontational. And it seems like if you're running for office, you know, you hire people to investigate your opponent and, and look for as much dirt that you can find. And, and then you bring it up at the you know, m most inappropriate time. And you, you, it just seems like so... I don't know, uh, not right. I mean, I, I can't imagine, but just picture for a moment. Imagine if the political climate was such that uh, you're dealing with your, you know, your opposition, the person you're trying to run against, and they propose something, and then the person running for office counters, instead of saying, that's the most ridiculous plan, I can't think of anything worse, you know, that's the most you know, unbelievable idea. Imagine if the person said, wow, you know, you've got a good idea there. In fact, your plan is really great. I, I'm, I'm actually, I would vote for your plan. In fact, maybe my plan could be a little bit better, but yeah, your plan's still really great. I mean, I mean imagine that kind of a tone. I mean, I just think we'd get a lot further. I, I don't know. But not just politics. If we look at an institution like a hospital, you know, hospital, I don't know, somewhere in between. Hospitals... Uh, hopefully, uh, are a place that focuses on mercy. And uh, you should be able to uh, go to hospital, and irrespective of your uh, financial position, you should be able to get some level of treatment and care and integrity. It shouldn't only be for wealthy people. Now, I understand there's a plenty of politics involved and there's plenty of abuse in the medical system and there's plenty of people, you know, abusing the system and, and they have to figure out financially how to make ends meet. But ultimately, uh, a hospital should be a place of mercy where you can get treated. And 
You know, interestingly, back in Bible times, Greco-Roman times, hospitals were not part of the economy. The Greeks and the Romans couldn't care less about hospitals or taking care of the sick or the, or the destitute or the poor. This was a concept that really got birthed with Christendom. And so the first Christians were keen about taking care of the sick and taking care of the poor. And uh, the governments were pretty ha happy to just say, well, you do that. You know, we don't have to pay for it, but, you know, do it. And honestly, uh, the church really did. And throughout history, from that time up until now, uh, religious organizations, and particularly the Catholic Church, has done a stellar job of running medical hospitals and clinics. You know, statistically, throughout the world, something like 26% of all hospitals and medical institutions are run by the Catholic Church. 26% worldwide. I mean, that's a lot. Uh, in America alone, just the Catholic Church, not the Methodist Church and, and the other Baptist Church and all the other hospitals, just the, the Catholic Church accounts for one in six beds in America. And yet in, that same, in, in the same sort of climate, uh, you know, there's been a, a sense of, okay, God's mercy and, and we thank you for what you're doing and your care for the, the sick and the destitute and the poor. Uh, there's a sense where it's become so politically charged and, and uh, if a Catholic hospital won't uh, allow an abortion, uh, there's a sense of, okay, let's uh, remove them as a hospital. And, you know, I, I kind of worry. It's like, what would happen if the Catholic Church said, okay, we're closing our hospitals? Uh, I think there's an assumption that, well, the general public or the government will just take over and, and it'll just fill that, that space. And, and I wonder if, if we would. And, you know, again, I, I'm not trying to be a political message here today. I want to talk about mercy, but... Uh, sometimes our political thoughts seem to be so extremist, uh, and even on this area uh, you know, of abortion, it's really interesting to me that for those that are really in favor of abortion, they do not agree with the current laws of the country. 63% of people which are, are, are pro-choice would prefer and would like to have abortion limited for the first 12 months, the first trimester, and after that, no. You know, and if you look at Europe, where we, you know, keep looking at Europe and thinking they're so, like, liberal and they're so advanced, you know, you, Germany, Belgium, France, uh, Denmark, you can't have an abortion after t the first trimester. And, and yet, you know, here we, we like, okay, are we, you know, the hospitals are under such pressure. It's like, are they just going to withdraw? I just, it just seems like there must be more room for for grace and for, and for mercy and a sense like, okay, can we care for the woman that's maybe pregnant uh, and has uh, difficult circumstances? Can we care for the child in that circumstance and stop calling, you know, a nine-month-old uh, baby a fetus? You know, uh, it, it just seems like there's a lack of, just in the climate, whether it's political, whether it's, whether it's religion, there just seems to be a lack of grace and of mercy in just talking about these things and, and doing it in a way where you can express different opinions without things getting like supercharged and heated. Uh, you know, Mother Teresa was uh, teaching in Bangalore 
and uh, somebody came up to her and she said, you know, uh, we really think this is a problem. You, you, you're giving stuff away to people for free. Uh, you're being uh, overly kind to the poor. And uh, Mother Teresa, we think there's a problem with this. The problem with this is that uh, if you do this, you're going to like spoil these people. And uh, these people need to have a value and understand what they're getting given for free. And uh, this is just like not right that you're just spoiling the poor. And Mother Teresa's answer was like really great. She said, you know, I would love our church to be a church that's known that just spoils the poor, which indeed she was. She says, I can tell you of lots of churches that spoil the rich. <laughs> and you're like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, but this idea of mercy, you know, just like just laying it out for people that are poor, uh, that don't have anything, that can't give anything back. Uh, it's really part of God's heart. And, and as Christians, as believers, there's w this is one aspect, you know, the longer you walk with God, the more God hopefully softens our hearts and says, yeah, we want to care for and love people that are different to us and people we don't understand and viewpoints we don't agree with. You know, there's something like we just love people because God loves people. So, uh, you know, what I want us to get out of this message today, what I would love us to be a people which experiences God's mercy personally. That when we're in a jam, when we're in a tight spot, when things are done to us which are harsh or cruel or unfair, that we can experience God and God's mercy. And that we understand that God's part of God's character, part of who God is, is a God of mercy. And that somehow or other we can understand that God isn't just a God of judgment or a God of discipline or a God that's distant, but He's also a God of mercy and a God who's close and a God who cares. And we should experience that. And as a church body, I hope that we can grow in our ability to represent that aspect of God, that we too would become people of mercy, where we have mercy on those that disagree with us in political views, in you know, economic views, in whatever views, and that we would become people of mercy. And our, our attitude, our motive would be to represent God and to say, God, help us to be like you. And uh, we look at Jesus as, a, as our role model of somebody who was incredibly merciful. But uh, let me just invite the Spirit of God to speak to us first. Jesus, we just invite uh, your presence. We invite your Holy Spirit. Uh, we want to both be in touch with the love of the Father. Uh, we want to experience uh, firsthand how you just forgive us, that you for us, that you love us, that you help us. And uh, Lord, we want to be a people that learn and embrace this aspect of your character. And we get better and better at that. So Lord, I just pray today for those that uh, want to extend mercy, just breathe on them. Let them do it well and give them great wisdom on how to do that. And Lord, those that need to be on the receiving end of, uh, of, of your mercy, let them be able to call out to you and, and pray to you for mercy. In your name, Jesus. Uh, amen. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Jonah is a wonderful story 
about God's mercy. Uh, this is an Old Testament prophet, uh, a minor prophet. Uh, and in the book of Jonah, uh, God tells Jonah, look, go to the Ninevites uh, and tell these people that the way they're living is absolutely terrible and that God is going to judge them. And in fact, he's going to judge them within 40 days. And Jonah, besides the whole story of the fish and, and, and all that, uh, he finally gets around to, you know, begrudgingly saying, okay, God, I'll do your thing. And uh, to Jonah's absolute shock, he shows up in Nineveh and he tells the people, he says, listen, the way you're living and the way you're doing things is terrible. And God, our God, the Jewish God, is going to judge you guys unless you change. And the king of Nineveh, uh, he, he does a surprising thing. He says, I believe you, Jonah. And he tells all the people, listen, we better get in line with the, the Jewish God. And we better like repent and like do all these like Jewish things, you know, like change our ways and ask for forgiveness. And indeed, the king does it and the people want to do it. They, people respond. They say, you know, God, we, we, we want mercy. We don't want your judgment. And the people just do a remarkable thing. These are non, you know, religious people that are following, you know, this is obviously before Christians. So these are not Jews. These are Ninevites. They've got their own idea of what God should look like. But yet they respond to God. And then the funny part of the story, it's actually sad and hilarious all at the same time. I'll read it to you rather than tell you. Um, maybe. If I can find it. So let me just uh, read along here. This is Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw uh, what they had done and how they'd put a stop to the evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now here's the, the comical and sad part. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? You see, Jonah knew, this is the, the funny part. Jonah knew this aspect of God's personality, that God was merciful. But on the other hand, Jonah really hated the Ninevites. So on the one hand, he's like, I hate these people. These are our enemies. They've always been our enemies. I hate them. And now, God, you want to show mercy to people I hate. And Jonah's like, torn up here. Like, I know the mercy of God, and I hate these people. And so Jonah's like, and God, you're going to just do what you do as God. You're going to be merciful. In fact, you were merciful. You changed your mind. Instead of wiping them out, you're going to bless them. And so he said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. You know, and Jonah then carries on sulking, and you know, it's kind of, kind of funny. I mean, you, you need to read it. Uh, so here we have this personality of God, where God wants to bless people. He wants to love people. He wants to show mercy to people. I mean, God wants to have interaction with us as, as people, even people that don't believe in Him. I mean, that's the story of Jonah. It's a wonderful story. But in the New Testament, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, Jesus starts 
putting a new covenant together. And in this incredible Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says a whole bunch of things which are so either offensive to us or so back to front to us. But one of them is the statement on mercy. God says this, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then Jesus' brother, James, I mean, he picks up on this, and uh, he's like, wow, let me say what Jesus said, but in the, in the reverse. He says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So there's a sense that God knows what we're doing. He understands, you know, our motives, our, uh, our thoughts, and our desires to please him, or our desires just to not be merciful. And he's saying, you know, James and Jesus are both saying, be merciful, because God will treat you in a similar way. So really, you know, from a carrot and a stick standpoint, from a carrot standpoint, you know, do it. This is the right thing to do. This is God's attitude. This is God's heart. And from a stick standpoint, it's like, if you don't do it, it's not going to work out too well for you. You'll feel what it's like to be treated without mercy. And, you know, immediately all of us are like, I want to be treated with mercy. You know, we all want to be treated with When we mess up, when we've, like, our business has failed or something's gone down or we've had family problems, we all want to be treated with mercy, especially if we were the person that messed up, that caused the problem. You know, we could have done something differently. We're like, ah, have mercy. Uh, and God is saying uh, he wants to treat us with mercy. You know, in my home country in South Africa, um, after the end of apartheid, uh, Nelson Mandela and Bishop Desmond Tutu did something that was just incredible because they uh, revealed God's heart of mercy, which was so contrary to uh, natural, new, uh, normal human behavior. Uh, you know, here's Nelson Mandela in prison for 27 years. Uh, you know, uh, he comes to power and he's not bitter. And uh, unlike any nation in, in Africa where they've changed from white rule to, to local rule, it's just been a bloodbath. And everybody's expecting a bloodbath in South Africa. And here Nelson Mandela comes out of prison and he, he's not vengeful which would be the normal, natural instinct. He's picking up some godly trait here of saying, no, I'm going to offer forgiveness. And uh, Desmond Tutu, in like incredible wisdom, doing something that I don't know has ever been done before in a, in a nation. Desmond Tutu basically says this. He says, look, I know a lot of white police officers particularly have committed murder. You, you, you've, you've murdered anybody that's been in opposition. Now, here's the deal. You're going to get off scot-free. No charges, no prison time, no criminal record, scot-free. But what you have to do is this. You have to come forward, and with the family that remains, that you've devastated and damaged, you have to tell exactly what you did. And if you'll stand up and just tell the truth, you, you're scot-free. I mean, just who would think that would work? Who would think that would work? It goes totally against our na nature. Our human nature is, no, that person needs to get like, put in jail at least or serve time. And Desmond Tutu was saying, in some you know, inspiration by, the, by God, is saying, what we need is, is mercy. We need like incredible forgiveness. This is not a time for, for, for judgment. We don't want to have a spiral of hatred. And, 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 it, and it really worked. 
the incredible thing is this. The families that were on the receiving end found it incredibly healing to hear the accuser uh, state what happened and what they did and acknowledge it. Just hearing the truth was very healing. Covering up the truth was very harmful. And so it really worked. Now, the, there was also a stick approach. They, they did also say, uh, Desmond Tutu, also in his wisdom, said this. Now listen, if you don't fess up, if you don't show up to one, some of these meetings about all your criminal activity, if you try and just hide and like get away with it, if we find you, we will try you and you will, you know, go to jail or have the death sentence. So there was also a like, okay, I've got two choices. I can try and hide out and get away with it, or I can come out and tell the truth and, and be humiliated and embarrassed and, you know, set, set my, uh, the captives free. But there was a sense of that, and, and it worked fabulously. Proverbs uh, 28, 13 says this, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Mercy. Uh, God's mercy is just, it's hard, to, it's hard to fathom. You know, if you just do this, if you just think of mercy or what Desmond Tutu came up with and not have an understanding of who God is and the love of God, this just won't make sense. It, it is just like, I, I, I don't know, it's just foolishness. There needs to be some sort of supernatural power encounter God, uh, you know, a, a willingness to believe in God and trust in God, even though what seems to be total foolishness, and to say, God, if we do it your way, it's going to work out, uh, even if I don't understand the mechanics. Uh, probably a, a more or as well-known story would be uh, Corrie ten Boom's story, Second World War, uh, Nazi prison camps. Uh, so Corrie ten Boom in, in her book, The Hiding Place, and it came out in a movie. Many of you are familiar with this incredible story. So uh, Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy were put into uh, Ravensbrück concentration camp because they were trying to help Jews escape the Nazis, and they got caught. And uh, Betsy actually died in Ravensbrück, and Corrie ten Boom, uh, you know, experienced unbelievable, horrific uh, actions by these prison guards, including, uh, you know, having to shower with all the men uh, present and the men criticizing and mocking them, you know, just absolutely dehumanizing. And here Corrie ten Boom is preaching at a church, it's after the Second World War, and she's preaching about what I'm preaching about, the love of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, and after she's finished preaching, she goes out like, you know, I might in the lobby. And here comes this prison guard. And he comes walking up to Corrie and says, Isn't it great that God has forgiven all my sins and I am set free? And uh, sticks his hand out to, to greet Corrie. And uh, Corrie's just like, I mean, she's just paralyzed. Uh, and in the, you know, things are spinning through her mind like at 100 miles an hour. She's like, Oh, God, there's no possible ways I can extend my hand and greet this guy. I mean, she's having flashbacks to the cruelty and her sister dying. And, and now this guy's so, you know, lightly saying, Oh, God has forgiven me and, and, and it's great. And, and Corey's at the same time, it's like, I just can't extend my hand. I want, I, I just, 
I'm, I'm paralyzed. And then she prays to God. She says, God, I, I, need, I need your mercy. I need your help. What am I supposed to do here? I know intellectually I'm supposed to forgive him, but I just can't. And somehow she manages to like, put her hand in his hand. And then something supernatural happened. Something incredible. She felt this heat run from her top of her shoulder, down her hand, down her arm, into this prison guard's hand. And her heart all of a sudden started changing. And her heart changed and it went into, wow, um, this is somebody created in God's image. This is somebody that I need to love. This is somebody that God loves. And supernaturally, she found that God did something in her heart. I mean, mercy is just hard to explain. It's just really hard to explain. You can justify being angry. You can justify the hurt that's been done to you. You can justify all the wrongs. But to lean on God and to say, God, you're a God of mercy. You've been merciful to me, and I'm going to extend mercy to others. That's supernatural. That is not a normal trait. There's not something that like we can read a book and say, okay, I'll just do that. It's something where we need to get the heart of God. And then we look at people that are, you know, like Mother Teresa, people that everybody else has cast out and say, I'm going to invest my life in them. I'm going to show them mercy. I'm going to love those people uh, because God loves them. Look at this uh, Bible promise as well in line with this. And this is balancing both mercy and truth. Uh, before I read this uh, scripture, let me say this. It's easy for me to stand up here and preach God's word, which is the truth. And it's very important. And I think churches need to preach the word of God and they need to preach the tr truth of God. And you can't move away from that. But let me just say that's the easy part. The harder part is living the Word of God and doing what the Word of God says. You know, both me personally and us as a church and you guys uh, individually. I mean, it's one thing for me to say, okay, we want this church to be a church of mercy. It's a whole other thing to actually extend mercy. And for those of you that have dealt with people in addictions particularly, you know, whether it be uh, alcoholic addictions, pornography addictions, or you know, uh, cocaine addictions, uh, you know the battle of, okay, when am I extending mercy and when am I enabling? And where's that line? And it's not an easy one. So on the one hand, we need to forgive, we need to have mercy, but on the other hand, we don't want to enable somebody to keep, you know, doing the wrong thing again and again. And it's just no easy, clear-cut solution when you crossing a, a line between mercy and, and enabling. But look at this, uh, this scripture. John, this is 2 John 1, 3. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. I mean, that's a loaded, that's a loaded verse. You know, we can expect that we will receive and be part of God's grace, God's mercy, and experience God's peace, and experience God's love as we live in His truth. When we live His way, according to His precepts, according to His truth, we can experience love, grace, peace, and mercy. It's a, it's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful uh, scripture. 
And again, you know, practically, it's one, it's one thing to just talk about precepts and the Word of God theoretically. It's a whole other thing when you bring it down a level and say, okay, how do we do that practically? I mean, practically, for instance, uh, we really love kids and we really love families. And, on, and we put the highest value we can on the safety of our kids. We, we really, more than anything else, we need to make sure that our kids are safe. But at the same time, uh, while keeping our kids safe, we still have to live with the, the tension of saying, okay, but we're going to extend mercy to those that perhaps, you know, we wouldn't really want to have with our kids. People that have maybe got a, a sexual offender offense or somebody that's an alcoholic or somebody that shows up here to church drunk. Uh, it's like, okay, I don't really want my kids mixing with those folks. I, I want to... So at, we absolutely want our kids to be safe. But on the other hand, we absolutely want to extend mercy. And we want to have all the wisdom of God to do both. Uh, and, you know, if you don't feel the tension in church, how we try to do that, you'll feel in your own family life at some point. You'll have a you know, family member, somebody that, you know, everybody else is like marginalizing and pushing away and doesn't want any part of. Uh, you'll feel the tension of how to us do both truth and mercy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. But God does want us to, uh, you know, as a church, be a place for both the in crowd, for the cool people, for those that are smart, those that are great athletes, and a place for those that aren't, that aren't smart, and aren't socially acceptable, and are awkward socially, and don't have the best dress code, like me, you know, just like, just, okay, I, most churches I get thrown out wearing jeans and putting my hands in my pocket, and you know, like, it's like, no, I, we want to, we want to do both. You can be like the up and out, or the up and doing well, and you can be the down, mercy, grace, uh, there's a tremendous tension. Yes, there's a tension. And yes, we, I don't know if we do a great job of it or not, but I tell you, we try. And we lean on God and we say, God, you know, help us. Help us in this. Uh, let, me, uh, let me wind this up by looking at a few Old Testament scriptures here and then a, quickly a few New Testament scriptures. And I'll try not comment on them too much and just let them speak to us. But uh, God would like us to become more like this. And this is Old Testament. In Hosea 6.6, 6, he says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Okay, so God is like much more interested in like we pursuing him than, you know, the whole focus becomes tithing or the whole focus becomes attendance or the whole focus becomes performance. God is saying, I, I, I'm interested in your love. I'm inter I said I wasn't going to comment. Next scripture, uh, Micah 6, 8. The Lord has told you uh, what is good, and this is what He requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Zechariah, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. New Testament Colossians 3.12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself 
with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You know, when we've got all that, when, when people look at us and say, you got all that, I mean, you're radiating Jesus. Uh, I mean, it's very hard to have all that uh, just because you worked on it. <laughs> no. All right. Um, let me let me just uh, let me just uh, point out as Jesus is our role model, and uh, people in Jesus' time uh, were steeped in the Old Testament, and uh, people knew that there was a link between God's mercy and calling out and crying out for God's mercy that Jesus would like heal them or interact with them. And the point I want to make here is this. We should not miss out on the same desire to call out to God for mercy. Uh, we should not be slow to ask God for mercy. We shouldn't just expect mercy or expect people to treat us with mercy. We should actually pray and ask and cry out for God's mercy. I mean, look at these three scriptures. Uh, Matthew 20, uh, 15, 22. Uh, a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Another uh, scripture, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers horribly. He often falls into the fire or into water. And then Matthew 20, 32, blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began, began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy. Have mercy on us. So if you've got a bulletin insert, let me just give you three uh, thoughts here on, on mercy and trying to become a people of mercy and how to be a people that respond that way. The first thing I'm trying to say here is we need to ask God just like these people did. You cry out, God, I need your mercy. Uh, don't just assume it. Uh, secondly, we should be people which extend mercy and receive mercy. We should both give mercy to others and receive it from God. And then thirdly, uh, we can look to Jesus' life as an example, but also to empower us to live like he did. Uh, it's not just okay to say, God, Jesus, you were a great example. Uh, there's something where we say, look, God, I need the supernatural strength. We need to be like Corrie ten Boom. It's like, I, I can't extend my hand, but God, by your power, I can. And, you know, when we're in situations, we're like, I just don't love this person. I, I'm like at my wit's end. I'm, I'm, I'm financially strapped. I can't give any more. Emotionally, I'm, I'm spent. There's somehow we've got to say, God, you need to empower me. You need to uh, help me uh, because I want to extend love and mercy. So uh, this is something we can both receive and, and give. Uh, let me just finish with a, a prayer. And I'm reading Jude, second to last book in the Bible. And uh, just receive this as a benediction, as a prayer for you, just as Jude did when he wrote this. It says this, very short. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Lord, would you give your people more and more mercy, peace, and love? Lord, can we become a people that extend mercy, that receive mercy, that extend your peace and your love, that receive your peace and your love? Fill us again and again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. When we have a worship team, let's... Uh,
let's spend some time worshipping and then we'll conclude with a, a, a chance to receive personal prayer. But uh, if you can, uh, won't you stand as the uh, worship team comes on up and